0: This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is designed as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsors nor guests are rendering any professional or medical advice. The opinions and claims presented by the guests are their own. Any trademarks used are the property of their respective owners. Welcome to The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey.
1: Andrea Wilson Woods, founder of a nonprofit called Blue Fairy for liver cancer. Correct.
0: It's another thing that gets
2: missed. How much caregivers are leading the charge? How important the caregivers are part of every conversation, because typically whether it's a spouse, an adult child, or sibling, or even a parent, that caregiver is the secretary, the butler, chauffeur, maid, the cook. So you need to get them in.
0: Here's your host, best-selling author. Mark Stinson. Hello
1: and welcome again to our podcast where we combine business and science innovation of healthcare with the patient voice, what we need to hear when the patients speak and how to integrate their experiences in getting from diagnosis to wellness. And I'm just so glad today to have Andrea Wilson-Woods. Andrea, welcome to the program.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mark, and for doing this podcast.
1: I think it's important, too. And certainly with your background, we're going to talk about a lot of different things from your patient advocacy experience. You're the president and founder of a nonprofit called Blue Fairy for liver cancer. You've also founded and you're the CEO of Cancer U, a for-profit social impact healthcare startup. Now, just in that mouthful alone, <laughs> you've got a lot to explore. <laughs> And Andrea is also the author of a best-selling book, Better Off Bald, The Life of 140 Days. So it's a medical memoir about raising her young sister, and there's a lot to learn from that experience too. Andrea, maybe if we could start off, I mean, we titled this whole podcast, The Patients Speak. So we really want to have our ears wide open to the patient's experience and what they want and what they're trying to tell us in the healthcare community. From your work, what do you think we need to hear the most from the patient?
2: I think you just need to not assume that you know what a patient wants. You need to listen and really listen and you know ask more questions. I remember meeting this doctor one time at a medical conference, and he was from Egypt, and we were talking about advanced liver cancer. And he told me that with his patients who had advanced liver cancer, he didn't tell them that they were going to die. He didn't tell them it was a terminal diagnosis. He didn't give them any options. He didn't discuss palliative care and what that means. And instead he, he just treated them until they died. And so I asked him, well, what would you do if you were diagnosed with metastatic hepatocellular carcinoma tomorrow? You know, what would you do? And he told me all these wonderful things. I would, you know, apologize to my father. I would, you know, take my wife on this trip. And I said, oh, so there are things that you would like to do before you die. And he said, yes. And I said, well, why don't you give patients that option? I said, if you had real conversations, you would allow your patients to have choices, but instead you are treating them and not giving them a real picture. And I can't tell you how many times, Mark, a patient has believed that because the doctor's treating them, that the treatment has to be curative, when it's not. Mm. It's often palliative.
1: Interesting. And so it sounds like, you know, when we talk about advocacy and advocacy groups, so so often we are saying, hey, we're promoting research, we're promoting cures, but you're also saying we're advocating for choice, yes. that the patient needs to be engaged and certainly own those choices.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, tell us about some of what Blue Fairy is doing in the area of liver cancer. And it's also a very personal story about how you started this organization.
2: Yes. Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, through research, education, advocacy. And I started Blue Fairy in memory of my sister, Adrian. I was 22 years old, living in Los Angeles when I got custody of Adrian. She was eight at the time, so there was a significant age gap. We have the same mother, different fathers. Her father actually died before she was born, so she didn't know him. I became her legal guardian. I was her parent, and I raised her all through my 20s until she was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer about a month after her 15th birthday, and it was So sudden. It was the day before, no symptoms. That day, she was in such horrible pain that we ended up going to her pediatrician who sent us to the ER. And it was actually an ER doctor. I'll just never forget the look on his face because he did not expect what he saw, but it was the ER doctor who said that she has tumors in her liver and lungs. And that night, they sent us to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Uh, A week later, she was doing her first round of chemo. Mm And she only lived 147 days with that diagnosis. And this is a very special time of year for me because um, she died on October 9th, 2001. So it's actually been 21 years, but it had an enormous impact on my life. The year after Adrian died, I turned 30 years old to give your listeners some perspective. And so it changed the whole course of my life. And i started Blue Fairy because at that time, there was not a single organization in the U.S. doing anything in liver cancer for patients and caregivers. And I didn't want people to go through what we had gone through.
1: I've noted that we're talking on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of the founding of the organization. How have you seen it change and evolve? And again, you, you've sort of moved now from a very personal you know, family mission to a much larger mission.
2: Yeah, it has grown so much, especially over the last seven years as, this is sort of negative, I don't know, but as more pharmaceutical companies have realized that more people are getting liver cancer and that they can actually make drugs to help people live longer, it's led to our growth. It's led to us being able to get more funding in a variety of ways, and but it's also led to us helping patients and seeing patients live longer with better quality of life And so we have a research award we give out every year on my sister's birthday, and we've been able to increase that over the years. And um, we also have a lot of patient education programs. All of our patient education materials are free. We ship worldwide for free, and they are in multiple languages. And then we have a lot of different advocacy programs. And about a year ago, we started our first real aim at prevention because as you well know but perhaps your audience doesn't liver cancer is one of the deadliest and yet one of the most preventable cancers it's highly complex because usually some sort of liver disease is involved and that makes it very difficult to treat and so we started our first liver disease and liver cancer prevention and awareness campaign and and that has expanded we call it love your liver and it's just, it's been so exciting to, to see it grow. We also have a private online community, HIPAA compliant, i.e. not a Facebook group for yeah. patients and caregivers. And it's just wonderful to see how the community has come together and support each other as well.
1: Well, you mentioned our understanding and appreciation of what is possible, you know, and what the disease really is all about and how it can be prevented and how it if it it has progressed. I guess I think about the companies that are sponsoring and supporting the organization and certainly the companies have representatives called patient affairs and patient advocates and clinical liaisons and so forth. But have you had the opportunity to turn the tables and educate them? to our point about patient voice, you know, that this is what you really need to understand from us patients and us caregivers.
2: Yes, I have. I've been very fortunate. There's one small biotech company that actually bought my book for all of their staff because they wanted people to truly understand the patient experience And as you mentioned in the opening, my book's a medical memoir, and it gets into the nitty gritty details. You're really living the experience the way my sister and I did during that 147 days. And I've also done sort of in-house education days, full on days where I'm training, I guess is the best word, but uh, educating um, people who are either sales or even medical affairs and helping them better understand the patient journey. And I think the one thing that I feel like, and this is just broad, that perhaps these companies don't understand is that most people are not seen in an NCI cancer center. Mm -hmm. You know, most people are not going to have that multidisciplinary team unless they move their care. Most people are seen in a community cancer center. They might have a community oncologist who is a general oncologist who does not specialize in liver cancer, and that will change their care. And it's also why so many cancer patients and caregivers don't know about clinical trials or certainly don't know how to find one.
1: I think let's talk about that for a second. Certainly the presenter of this podcast, 83 Bar, is involved in the recruitment of potential candidates for clinical trials. What is it about that gap that we need to close? I mean, part of it is a a system gap. You know, you just simply don't have the cancer units in every hospital that we should. But it's also an educational gap. You know, what is available and how can I, as we've talked about, advocate for myself to get information about the trials that are available?
2: Well, I love to tell stories. So I'm going to tell a story to illustrate this point. And this is actually comes from Cancer U. So there's this lovely couple named Sam and Diane, and I will never forget their names because I loved Cheers in the 80s. -hmm. And he has metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. She is his caregiver. and, um, And they were told to go home, get his affairs in order. All the treatment had been done now they had some inkling of clinical trials but didn't know what to do they had joined cancer you they had found us on facebook and we didn't have a lung cancer course yet, so they reached out and said, what can we do? And I said, well, would you mind? We can make you a case study. We'll record it. Other people can learn. And I will teach you one-on-one how to use clinicaltrials.gov, which is probably one of the least user-friendly websites in exactly. the world, it's right? the
1: most patient-friendly uh, It source. is
2: not. It's not easy for anyone, right? No. And so... We That's what we did. So we spent an hour going through, understanding how to use it. and But what we also did, and this is where I feel like industry misses the mark, is I worked with them on what are their core values? What were their deal breakers? And they had a big deal breaker that was going to affect any clinical trial. They did not want to go anywhere that was more than 15 minutes from their house because they didn't like to drive, especially at night. They were both over 60 and they just didn't feel comfortable and they didn't have anyone else who could drive them. And so luckily they did, they do live in a suburb of Atlanta. So that helped, but it still limited things. So in one hour, we identified five possible clinical trials and I reached out a week later to see what happened. And Diane responded and said, oh, those five trials didn't work out. But because she had learned how to use clinicaltrials.gov, when those five trials didn't work out, she got right back on the website, found a trial and got Sam enrolled. And it was less than 15 minutes from their house. Now, why their oncologist did not suggest that to them, I don't know. And I don't believe in peddling and false hope. So I also want to add that Sam was very clear. He felt good. He didn't feel sick. He said, as long as I feel good, I want to keep going. If I feel bad, you know, then of course not. But I still feel good. So I want more time with my wife. And that's a good reason to enter a clinical trial. That's a good reason to keep going.
1: Yes. It's interesting you say, armed with the information and sort of the training and capability of using the tool, you have more choices. I mean, going back to advocating for choice, if you think you only have these three or four options, well, then you're limited. But if you have even more options, did did they feel empowered? We use this word a lot, empowered patients. Did they feel empowered with this knowledge and ability to use the tool?
2: Yes, certainly she did. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing I think that gets missed is how much caregivers do, how much they are leading the charge when it comes to care. Mm. You know, how important that is that caregivers are part of every conversation because, I didn't realize this until someone said this to me, but typically that primary caregiver, whether it's a spouse, an adult child or sibling, or even a parent of a pediatric patient, that caregiver is the secretary, (laughs) the butler, the chauffeur, the maid, the, you know, the cook, you know, that, that caregiver knows everything. So you need to get them in on the conversation from the get go.
1: Mm, so helpful. Well, you touched on your other venture, and I wanted to move to that too, and that's Cancer U. Tell us about uh, how you're educating and engaging uh, cancer patients through this really university-type offering.
2: Yes. Cancer U is an online platform for both cancer patients and caregivers to educate, empower, and engage them to become advocates for their care, to improve outcomes, to lower stress, and reduce cost. So, We use courses for education, we use community for engagement, and we use coaching for empowerment. And it really is designed like this holistic university style model.
1: And all online and sort of what's the modality? Tell us about how the information is, is taught.
2: I come from a teaching background. When I was raising my sister, I was a teacher. And then after she died, I went back to school I like to say I gave USC more of my money and got my (laughs) master's. (laughs) And I was also an adjunct professor. So that's my wheelhouse. That's where I'm super comfortable. So I feel it's very important to address all learning styles. So there's video, there's audio, there are downloadable worksheets to address all those modalities. Um, The coaching is done online, typically in a Zoom type situation. Um, And then the community is strictly online, but people can engage with photos. We don't have the video component yet of the community, but that is something we're looking into.
1: Well, and I guess our listeners may be surprised. So I wanted to really get under the hood of Cancer U. It reads like a healthcare startup. I guess because oh, yeah. it is, but I mean, yeah, it the, is. the language of getting funding, joining tech uh, support yeah. groups, so to yeah. speak, oh, you
2: know,
1: and really learning telemedicine and getting digital health portfolio support, uh, even Microsoft support. So tell us about that side of it, the entrepreneurial, the business side of trying to build this kind of initiative.
2: You know, cancer you really came out of me trying to solve a problem that I saw in my own advocacy group and others. One of my frustrations with Blue Fairy that I realized pretty early on was it wasn't enough to give patients educational materials, even if they are free and they are in layman's terms and in multiple languages. What was happening is that patients and caregivers were reaching out to me and asking for more help. So They had the what, but they didn't know the how. They didn't know how to act on the materials they had been given and they had more questions. And so I had been coaching patients and caregivers pro bono for over a decade. And it started small and it was only in liver cancer. And then it just it was just word of mouth until the point it got to the point it was unsustainable because I can't scale myself. Mm -hmm. But I could not bring myself to charge patients and caregivers because I've been there. And I just couldn't do it. I could have made a very lucrative business out of being a personalized cancer coach. And I don't, you know, I don't shame or blame anyone who does that, but it just wasn't for me. So I just kept percolating over over how can I solve this problem? Meanwhile, people are sending me their medical records through Facebook Messenger, unsolicited, (laughs) mind you, unsolicited. And I was like, this is crazy, you know, but clearly there's a need. So I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about my own situation, how... You know, with my sister, I was asked to make these major decisions about her treatment less than 48 hours after being told about these tumors in her liver and lungs. And I was somewhat comfortable in that environment because our mother had been a nurse. So I grew up around doctors and hospitals and still they were throwing all these acronyms at me. It was like the alphabet soup of cancer, I call it. And to me, it was like, you have to go back to school. You really have to go back to school. And I was like, oh my gosh, Cancer University. So I had this crazy idea in the summer of 2017, and I entered this competition called the C3 prize. It's sponsored by the pharmaceutical company Estellus. It's their changing cancer care prize. And that year it was co-sponsored by um, Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank. His mm-hmm. mother died from ovarian cancer, I believe. And so he's very passionate about this. And so I thought, I have this crazy idea. I'm going to enter this contest. We'll see. You know, I really didn't think much about it. I threw together a web page. I thought, we'll see what happens. Well, to my surprise, um, I ended up getting into the semifinals. They had over 160 entries from 21 countries. And I got in the top 10. And I spoke with the Estelle's executives. They totally got where I was going with it. They loved it. And I didn't get into the finals because I just had a web page <laughs> with a video, but you know, it gave me some momentum and I was very nervous about going into the health tech space and, and the for-profit. So I spent six months vetting the idea with patients, caregivers, advocates, survivors, all the doctors that I know, um, all the pharma contacts that I have. And every single person said, yes every single person said, yes, you've got to do this. There's a need for this. And so I found a co-founder. I did not have a co-founder for Blue Fairy. And so it was very important for me to have a co-founder with a completely different skill set. I didn't want to do it alone. And so we co-founded the company officially in the spring of 2018, and we have bootstrapped the business. And it's not been easy. I want to be very honest. It's been incredibly tough. It really has, and and I've put my life savings into the business. Yes,
1: well, and every entrepreneur, whether they're in health or otherwise, any entrepreneur knows this term: bootstrapping. It sounds glamorous, but
2: it's, it's oh god, it's, no! You know, it should like, be going oh, broke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just heard another entrepreneur say. That she's still recovering from a poor credit score because one time, like yes. for a three month period, she didn't pay her credit card. Mm. And that was four years ago. Yes. And she's still her credit score hasn't recovered from four years ago
1: when you're literally putting everything in. Yeah. Well, my guest is Andrea Wilson Woods. I have a couple of questions about how we go forward here, but I want to make sure we pause here to give us the coordinates where we can find (laughs) you, you know, where we can learn more about all these great programs.
2: Of course. So for Cancer U, just go to cancer.university. For Blue Fairy, it's bluefairy.org, F-A-E-R-Y.org. For me personally, it's just my name, andreawilsonwoods.com. And to get the book, go to betteroffbald.com.
1: Uh, Lots of good resources there. Lots of good experience. Andrea, as we think about the two, I'll call them audiences, but two groups we've been talking to today, the other advocates, I want to ask you, what insights and advice would you give somebody who's trying to build an advocacy group, an organization, a healthcare startup, perhaps, you know, based on your lessons learned, what insights would you give them?
2: If you're Doing a healthcare startup that has a tech component, and I'm thinking of another entrepreneur I know who shares this, like we commiserated with each other <laughs> in June, make sure one of your co-founders is a tech co-founder. It's really important. It, I feel like it can make or break you. If I could go back and change anything, that would be it. I would have brought in a tech co-founder um, because it it gets very, very difficult when you're trying to build a product that's that's enabled by tech. For advocates, gosh, I don't want to give discouraging advice, but I I want to give realistic advice. I feel like the charity space is anything but charitable. It is more cutthroat than the for-profit world. It is highly competitive, and unfortunately, the way charities are set up, we end up competing with each other for a very limited pot of money and you just have to stay true to your mission you don't get distracted by your quote unquote competitors and there will be competitors you know it's um it's not always easy um we do our best at Blue Fairy to collaborate with others who share our mission we work well with the cholangiocarcinoma foundation so they focus on liver cancer but a different kind of liver cancer and we work with other organizations that focus on different liver diseases but it's it's just not always easy it's Mm
1: -hmm. it sounds like to find your space (laughs) and maybe seek those collaborations but be aware that yeah there may be this competitive set yeah
2: be aware and i know you know one woman who is a strategic planner and works with lots of nonprofits. And she always advises that don't start a nonprofit in a particular space if someone else is already doing it in that space Mm -hmm. and doing it well. And I think that's a great piece of advice. I never would have started Blue Fairy if there had been a HCC advocacy group, but there wasn't. And that's why I started Blue Fairy.
1: Mm-hmm. And then turning to the other group, the clinical people, the marketing people at the pharmas, biotechs, med devices, diagnostics, what advice would you give that part of the industry to do a better job of listening? We've been really focused on how to hear what the patient's talking about. How can we do that better?
2: Leave all of your free conceptions or thoughts, leave them at the door, because I promise you they're wrong. I promise you they're wrong. For example, I'm thinking of a couple right now that live in a very rural part of Texas, it's so rural that it's very difficult to find their, their trailer out on this highway in the middle of nowhere. This woman emailed me thanking me that my book was on Kindle Unlimited now because she could get it because they could not spare $15 for a paperback book. Mm-hmm. That is something I think most people do not comprehend at all. And of course, I immediately just mailed her a paperback book, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, but she didn't also didn't think to ask. And so I, I think now we are talking a lot about underserved populations in the purview of race and ethnicity. But we're not talking about underserved populations in terms of socioeconomic. And to me, and there's definitely overlap. But to me, that's where I see the biggest need is everyone in this country who is living, you know, at or below the poverty line. And and as someone, I I was there. I've Mm -hmm. been there. And it's really difficult.
1: And it really seems to ripple into this concept of access, Yeah, you know, we talk about access to health care, but you're even saying access to the resources, access to the information. And I have been in meetings where people will say things like, well, it's on the Internet. Everybody can find it and it's in books and everybody can find it. And it's at the hospital. There's pamphlets and, you know, they can they can pick them up. But this this idea of access does lead us to a broader definition, doesn't yeah. it?
2: Can I share one last story Please, that's do. just going to make you laugh so hard? So we were pitching to this one investor about a year ago for Cancer CancerU, and he is so prominent that we, and this is the only person we ever had to do this with, we had to sign an NDA just to speak with him. It was very odd, but he is connected to the most prominent political family in New York. Whoever just popped into your head is probably that person. <laughs> and so he's very well known. And so- we're pitching cancer you and I kid you not this was his response well I don't get it why wouldn't you just get in your plane and fly to mayo <laughs> get in your plane and he's talking about a private plane people not, and fly yeah, not to a mayo. plane your yeah, plane your yeah. plane and fly to mayo and I almost lost my mind I was so mad I was so hopping mad I really was but you know talk about living in a bubble
1: mm-hmm. we got a lot to learn yeah I love that. Well, Andrea, thanks for that story. And thanks for the other, you know, insights and experiences you've shared with us. Again, very personal and very real. I mean, there's are real people uh, they are facing real health challenges, and we can do a better job of listening, can't we?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's thank a good, you so much.
1: good call to action. Well, thank you, and uh, good luck in both of these initiatives. And listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue these conversations. We've been talking to healthcare executives, medical providers, and researchers, and we've been talking to patient advocates like Andrea Wilson-Woods today about what we can learn when we really bring in the patient voice. I'm Mark Stinson. We'll continue to listen to the patients speak. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with Mark Stinson. Presented by 83 Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83 Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83bar.com. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for unlocking your world of creativity on your favorite podcast app.